It's likely not a coincidence that you're here looking for effective information about the low-carb or ketogenic lifestyles or a carnivorous lifestyle. Are you looking for trustworthy information on healthy nutrition, weight loss, general health questions, balancing your hormones, or living a longer, fuller, or more abundant life? Even men and women at the peak of health find themselves wondering if there's more to life beyond the mirror, the scale, the stress test, the colonoscopy, or the lab test. Whether you're looking for more meaning in your life, increasing your confidence, your ability to make a bigger impact, improving healthy relationships, improving your wealth, experiencing deeper and more meaningful love, or even creating a powerful lasting legacy. Find out how amazing your life can be on this episode of Doc Talk with Dr. Adam Nelly. Listen and learn as we take complex health topics and make them clear, understandable, and applicable to your life. My desire is that you find the answers to the burning questions you have, answers that will get you back on track, improve your health, and let you be who you were meant to be. Whatever your reason, thank you for being here. I'm so glad you're joining me today. If you have a question that you'd like discussed on Doc Talk, I'd love to answer it. I cannot give individual advice or recommendations, but we can answer the question in an educational format and give you some tools to make educated decisions about your health. If you have a question, email it to questions at docmuscles.com. Again, that's questions at docmuscles.com, D-O-C-M-U-S-C-L-E-S.com. If you're interested in more personal instruction and information on any of the topics discussed here, go to docmuscles.com forward slash membership to learn more and sign up to be a part of my health and coaching services. It only takes a couple of minutes to learn more about your health. Again, that's docmuscles.com forward slash membership. Enjoy the episode of Doc Talk with me, Dr. Adam Nelly. Well, welcome to episode one of Doc Talk. Um, hope you're enjoying yourself and having a great weekend. Um, I'm recording this on the weekend, uh, just before Thanksgiving, and uh, happy to have you here for episode number one. Uh, I'm naming this, Why Did I Regain Weight? while following a ketogenic or carnivorous diet. That's been the biggest question I've got had from many people around the world over the last few weeks. I sent out an email to a number of the people on my newsletter list and got a huge response back in regards to the, the main questions that people are having. And the, the about 50% of the people that responded basically said, I've done keto or I've done carnivore and I've had trouble with either my weight loss plateaued or I started seeing weight regain. Why is that happening? And uh, the challenge I'm finding is that very few people have understood why and have understood how to counterbalance that. Even though there are supposedly thousands of keto and carnivore gurus around the world, people are still not seeing success that way. And so I wanted to explain some of the science behind keto and carnivore, why that happens and and where to go with this. Um, But before I dive into that, um, I think this podcast could be called uh, the the journey of, it could be titled The Journey of Fat Loss uh, as another title. Um, a number of people have asked me, why are you going to start a podcast again? What's the reason for doing that? Uh, the reason I've done this is I've been in practice about 22 years as of the recording of this podcast. And about 18 of those years or so, uh, I've focused heavily on weight loss with the use of either low-carb, ketogenic, or carnivorous-type diets. Um, and one of the things that I found is that I've, I have a blog and I have a newsletter, but a lot of people in this day and age either don't have the time to read uh, or don't take the time to read or um, because YouTube and video and podcasts are so much more readily available, they seem to, to gravitate to those sources. And so I figured I would create a, a place where I can uh, have or point patients to that they can go and listen to for more detailed information about specific topics um, and a place to share clinical experience as that becomes a big factor uh, that I see uh, every day uh, and a place to answer questions. And so a lot of 
of the patients. I had hundreds of patients respond to the question that I sent out in my newsletter, and I'm going to try to answer those questions uh, as we go uh, through the through the episodes over time here. My hope is to keep it fairly short and brief, not a real long podcast each time, so you have a chance to listen either on your drive or uh, for maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes, uh, maybe longer if that seems to be the, the, the desire of the, of the audience listening. Uh, but either way, that's kind of where we're going. So um, question number one, why do low carb, why do keto, or why do carnivore? Um, the reason I recommend it is that, and as I've told many patients, about 85% of the people that walk through my doors have some degree of insulin resistance. Now, there are 40 different hormones that control weight gain or weight loss. The primary hormone therein is insulin, and I've said that before, and I've said that to thousands of patients and people, but the primary hormone is insulin. And what I've found in my experience is that if you don't correct insulin first, you'll really not see successful weight loss. And when I'm talking about successful weight loss, I mean I meaning long-term weight loss, longer than 12 to 24 months. Um, statistically, uh, the majority of patients regain their weight after the first 12 months of any type of calorie restriction, or even either or even intermittent fasting uh, or alternate day fasting. Uh, multiple studies, and I, I, the studies are referenced in my show notes, uh, show that those diets are successful for the short term, but not really in the long term. And the reason is that most of them don't fully correct the insulin problem, primarily number one, and then number two, uh, there are often other. Uh, hormonal imbalance issues that are there, um, which we'll probably get into deeper, but I won't go into here uh, at this point in time. Um, The other issue is that uh, calorie deficit, which is what most of the experts have claimed is the only way to lose weight for years and years and years, has basically failed with with this 85% of the population that I deal with, myself included. And so that's been one of the big challenges that most people have had, is that unless you're fixing that insulin first, you, you won't you won't see successful long-term weight loss beyond 24 months. Now, low-carbohydrate, ketogenic, and carnivorous diets are the only diets that do that. Fat, intermittent fasting and fasting to various degrees uh, reduce the insulin load, but for many people, not fully enough. Um, now, that's just the first step, and uh, we'll, we'll come back and talk with that about, about that in a minute. Now, prolonged calorie-restricted fasts, intermittent fasting, and alternate-day fasting are often grouped together into the fasting term and approach uh, by a lot of people, and this causes a lot of confusion among the people that I speak to and counsel in my office in regards to ketogenic diets or carnivorous diets. A lot of them are trying to combine keto with fasting. And to be frank, if you're doing a ketogenic or carnivorous diet correctly, there are going to be periods of natural fasting where you're just not hungry. The challenge, though, is I see a lot of people who've done intentional fasts for one to two years, and they show up in my office with permanent thyroid reduction uh, and about 50% reduction in their testosterone in both men and women. And this that, that happens because the body is attempting to conserve its fuel and conserve its its uh, its fat as it, it thinks that you're in a starvation period. And so unless you're providing adequate fuel and protein, in those periods of time, your body will literally slow its metabolism and, and sometimes permanently. And so I, I see that as a big factor that, that I, I, I have to emphasize and point out. Um, I, am a big, I am a proponent of fasting, but I'm not a proponent of prolonged fasting that actually causes you to go into a protein deficit, which is what I commonly see with a lot of people that end up showing in, up in my office after failing combined fasting with uh, ketogenic or carnivorous diets. So I greatly appreciate a quote by Napoleon Hill who said, Desire is the starting point of all achievement. Not a hope, not a wish, but a keen, pulsating desire which transcends everything. So one of the important things is, is number one, you have to have a desire uh, as a starting point. But in the starting point, uh, as you take a journey, you need to know three things. Number, where are you today? 
um, where were you um, and where are you trying to go? And if you don't have that, though, that insight in those three steps, then you're going to have some struggles. So if you're just starting this journey or if you've been on the journey and you're not seeing improvement, uh, then a couple things that I would highly recommend you start with. And so pull out your pen and paper um, because uh, number one, I want you to write this down. But number two, I want that pen and paper to be there with you so you can actually record everything. Um, I want you to plan your day. I want you to plan what you're going to eat. I want you to plan what you're going to uh, what you're going to do, what your exercise is going to be. And then at the end of the day, I want you to record what you did. Um, one of the biggest challenges is I have, in my office is people will come in and they'll tell me, yes, I'm eating correctly. But then when I actually do a verbal face-to-face and I ask them, what are you actually eating what they think they're eating and what they actually tell me they're eating, even from memory, is dramatically different. And if, you've, if you're recording it and you're being accountable yourself, uh, you know where you are today, you know where you were, and it gives you the ability to plan further ahead. So um, as you've heard mo- multiple times, uh, failing to plan is just planning to fail. Uh, you, need to, uh, keep your, keep, you need to keep a, a diet journal. Now, um, number one, step number one in that diet journal is, is if you're attempting to use a ketogenic or carnivorous diet, the most, the, in order to lower the insulin and improve that insulin resistance, you've got to keep the carbohydrate and take less than 20 grams per day, period. And that's total carbs. That's not net carbs. If you want to see net weight loss, which is just kind of partial weight loss, then, then watch the net carbs, but it needs to be total carbs. And that's because... Um, yeah, there's all these fancy fibers and all this garbage that's out there uh, that people p- promote uh, in in the, the grocery stores that are supposedly keto. Well, let me let me let me cu- give you a caveat. If it says keto on it in the grocery store, put it back on the shelf and do not buy it. It's it's not going to help you. It's not going to be it's not going to be beneficial. Um, and I apologize to all the keto manufacturers out there, but I am so sick and tired of seeing all the garbage they post they put on in the grocery stores. Ninety eight percent of it is not beneficial for weight loss if you're trying to lose weight. I'll just be frank and right up front. Um, I have a bunch of people send me stuff that they want me to promote. And when I look look at it, um, I am not comfortable promoting it because it doesn't help. And I'm going to explain why. You may It may not have a high carb level, but because of what many of the products do and the insulin response to those products, it will raise your blood pressure, it will raise your uric acid, cause kidney stones and gout, it'll raise your, it'll raise your insulin levels and cause your uh, cholesterol levels to rise. There's a whole slew of other things that can happen, and so I highly recommend you be very, very cautious with any product that claims it's keto in the grocery store if it's not real food. That's actually really important. Now... There's probably some of you who are new to this process or need to have the definition reintroduced to you about what exactly is this insulin resistance thing. So let's put it this way. Um, If you were to give the average person a piece of bread, that person should produce a slice worth of insulin, enough insulin for your body to help use and uh, process the, the glucose or the sugars, the starches that are in that bread. Um, and remember, uh, fiber is a starch. It's just got double bonds, but our guts can process that fiber by fermentation. And that's one of the ways that a lot of people go, well, I don't understand why if I'm eating fiber, I'm gaining weight still because your, your gut is, is, um, fermenting that fiber in the bottom end of the colon. That's why you get a little bloated. So you're gassy, um, when you're eating those fibers because your body's actually pulling the sugar out of that. It just has to ferment it and it gives you a little bit of bloating and gas. And that's why a lot of my patients are, uh, struggling, especially those with irritable bowel, celiac disease, uh, their body's pulling the sugar out through the fermentation process. And that fermentation process bothers the, the gut lining. Um, it's a very brief and simple explanation for it, but hopefully that is, is more clear to you. So 
your body will produce a slice worth of insulin in response to that, that piece of bread. Those that have insulin resistance produce between two and 30 times the amount of insulin in response to that bread. So if you give somebody like me who's insulin resistant a piece of bread, I'll produce 10 times the insulin. I have patients that come into my office that if I give them a piece of bread, they'll produce 30 times the insulin. So that's as if they ate three loaves of bread with that one piece of bread. That's the insulin response. Now remember, insulin is the driver behind raising your, your causing weight gain, raising your cholesterol, increasing uric acid levels, um, decreasing your testosterone if you're a man, or raising it if you're a woman, increasing the inflammatory cascades in your body. Um, I can go on and on. Uh, we'll touch on those, but those are the, the starting points. So how do you know if you overproduce insulin without getting an insulin test? Well, number one, it, you know, checking your fasting insulin. If your fasting insulin is over five, you're likely insulin resistant. That's, the, that's what I've found in the last 18 years of practice is that that blood test does that. Now, a lot of doctors won't check a fasting insulin. They'll just look at a blood sugar. If your fasting blood sugar is over 100, um, uh, after you've been fasting for more than eight hours, uh, or if your postprandial blood sugar, uh, the, that's the, the blood sugar um, two hours after a, a meal, is higher than 140, you're insulin resistant. Um, if you're a type 2 diabetic, you're, you're insulin resistant. You're at the fourth stage of insulin resistance, resistance, and we'll talk about that in the future. Um, another way to know is if you're a male and your waist is greater than 40 inches, or if you're a female and your waist is greater than 35 inches. Now, a lot of men don't carry tape measures, and a lot of them say to me, well, Dr. Nelly, I don't know how, how, how big my waist is, so I'll just tell them, close your eyes and walk toward the wall. And if your belly touches the wall before anything else does, you're insulin resistant. Easy way to understand it. Um, if your triglyceride is over 150 when you're fasting, if you, um, if you have skin tags on your body, those are those little polyps of skin uh, that they are flesh-colored, they're on their neck, under the arms, in the groin, uh, between the legs, um, anywhere there's friction, uh, you can actually see a skin tag form. If the skin tags are pathognomonic for insulin resistance, meaning they only occur in the presence of insulin resistance. As your insulin resistance proves, they actually will get better. They may not fully go away if they're large, but they, they, they will get better, which is fantastic to see. Um, acanthosis nigricans is a thickening of the skin that occurs as a later stage of, the, of those skin tags. Uh, it's a browning discoloration around the neck and under the arms, anywhere there's friction. Uh, that's, that's a higher level of, of insulin resistance as it progresses. Um, if you've had episodes of hypoglycemia or low blood sugars, you're insulin resistant, I can guarantee it. And if you've got at least one family member who's diabetic, there's a likelihood that you are insulin resistant. So about 85% of my patients have insulin resistance uh, and, and have one or many of these signs that show up. And so they'll show up in my office and, and we'll, we'll go through these and help them identify uh, the culprit that insulin is the driver behind their weight gain or a number of the other diseases of civilization that they, they gain because of high insulin. There's about 18 different diseases that will arise as your insulin is staying high. And uh, obesity is the primary number one, but there are many others and we can talk about that. We will talk about that in the future. So I got a question from Kathy and I'm going to read her question. Uh, and this is a common question that I see and I've seen over the last 18 years as people have been doing uh, these types of dietary approaches with carbohydrate restriction to some degree, whether it's low carb, keto, or, or a carnivore. And uh, you'll, you'll hear the question from Kathy, and, and I appreciate it because this she, she summarizes it really well and does a nice job. She says, for 25 years I did keto. Um, I chose to do it perfectly by logging my food and keeping track of my macros. Um, and please help me understand this unusual result. For 24 of those years, I had stunning blood test results, perfect health, but had 20 unwanted pounds on a five-foot frame weighing about 135 pounds. Uh, I made one change and achieved all my goals immediately. 
I now weigh 115 pounds. Uh, to sum it up, I'm 72 years old and on hormone replacement. I'm 5'3", did keto for 24 years, had 20 pounds extra, extra weighed about 135 pounds, made one change in her keto macros, and the weight came right off. Here's the change, uh, and here's the change I made, and here are the before and after macros. So she said, I doubled the protein and cut the fat in half. Old macros, 20 grams of carbs per day, 50 to 60 grams of protein, and 80 grams of fat. New macros, 20 to 35 grams of carbs per day, 40 grams of fat, and 115 grams of protein. Why is this? Is this a healthy set of macros? Does the fact that I have one copy of APOE4 matter? I have no allergies, no medical conditions, and take no drugs. I'm sure you're addressing this issue with... uh, would, and would, it would help other people besides myself. Thank you. Thank you so much for your wisdom, Kathy. Thank you, Kathy. I appreciate that. And that is a superb question. She summarized it really well. And it's something that I, I literally deal with three or four times a day. And I'm surprised that um, other people are not addressing this question. I, I, my assumption is that they don't understand the answer. And so I'm going to dive into that answer. Uh, now, number one, I don't really care much for the term macro, but a lot of people use it because that's a nutrition term and people understand that in the nutrition world. So, um, but I, and I appreciate what she's using. So let me explain some basics that I help people start, start out with. N- number one, I recommend you keep your starches or carbs under 20 grams per day to start with. Number two, I, incre- I recommend that you're getting adequate protein. Now, initially when we started doing this, we found that, um, we would calculate the protein levels up to somewhere between, uh, 60 to 90 grams of, of protein as a baseline need. If you have more muscle, if you're more physically active, we increase that level. And uh, Kathy, in her case, was around 60 grams of protein, she said. Um, now, I usually recommend starting at a one-to-one ratio of by grams, not by macros or, or calories, a one-to-one ratio of protein to fat. So for every gram of protein, you have a gram of fat. That's really easy because most foods, eggs, bacon, sausage, red meat, pork, they are all literally one-to-one for the most part. Eggs have five grams of protein, five grams of fat. Bacon has four grams of protein, four grams of fat per slice. Um, your red meat, if you eat a, if you eat an eight ounce uh, ribeye, it's about 25 to 35 grams of protein to 25 to 30 grams of fat. Pr- uh, pr- pork is slightly less than that, but ballpark wise, it's roughly one to one. Now I find that that works really, really well for the first three months. And the reason is that uh, when, you're, when your protein to fat is, is equal, um, you're not fat adapted yet. So what that means is that you have not upregulated the MCT receptors in your gut that help you pull the fat into the bloodstream. Now it takes about two to three months to fat adapt or to keto adapt. And what that means is that it takes about two to three months for your body to get used to that increased volume of fat that's there. And, and this is why as a caveat, you could you could double the fat like Kathy had done, and eating literally twice the amount of fat uh, that they were in regards to protein, and 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 still see weight loss because your gut just can't absorb the fat fast enough. There just aren't the fat receptors there. Now, one cat, one drawback is that that much fat will often cause diarrhea, and you'll spend about three hours on the porcelain throne. Um, and I, 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 so, and people learn very quickly that maybe I shouldn't be eating that much fat, but some people don't learn that quickly. And so if you're one of those and you're still on the porcelain throne with diarrhea because of, um, too much fat in your diet, then I'm going to tell you right now, back it down to one to one. Um, now after the three month mark, the weight loss begins to slow down. And a lot of people will actually see the weight loss stall and they'll go, Dr. You know, that keto thing doesn't work for me. Um, because now what's happened is your body has realized he's not giving me any more carbs and I'm getting fat, so I'm gonna pull this fat in fast, I'm gonna use the fat as fuel, which is exactly what we want the body to do. We want your body to be able to use that fat efficiently. But now you become an efficient fat absorbing machine. And what you, what's important and what many people don't 
grasp the concept of is that at about that keto adaptive phase three around three months what ends up happening is your um, your body starts pulling that fat in and it will use the fat in your bloodstream and in your stomach and gut if it can pull it in pr- before it uses any fat in your fat cells uh, and there's and the reason is the way the liver regulates the use of fat is that if you have plenty of fat in the bloodstream it's not going to pull it from the fat cells and so what happens is people start their weight loss halts and if your insulin is still high because you're still insulin resistant and that that it takes about two years for your insulin resistance to improve. Your sick fat cells keep your insulin high. That's what keeps the insulin level high. I have a lot of people that do keto for six months and they're going, Dr. Nelly, my insulin's still around 11 or 12 when I fast. What's wrong? It's because they still have sick fat cells. Fat cells are still overfilled. They'll have weight to lose. And those, those, there's a number of hormones like tumor necrosis factor alpha, interleukin one, interleukin six that actually stimulate the, the, um, they blockade the signal from, the pancreas, they essentially blockade insulin from reaching the liver to tell the liver to slow down its glucose production. So we see a, an average sugar stay higher and an average insulin level stay higher. And that keeps them in that insulin resistance range. Now, so if you're still, if you're now efficiently pulling fat in and your insulin level is still slightly high, you may actually see weight gain. And I commonly see that. And then people get discouraged and they give up and then they start fasting. And then all of a sudden they're, uh, they, because then they'll shift over instead of fasting for 24 hours or 48 hours, you know, f- three or four times a week. And then they show up three or four months later, their testosterone's literally tanked out and their testosterone's dropped 50% and they feel horrible and they don't, they don't know what to do. Um, you might be in that position. I've heard many of you in my, in my office in tears because that's happening. So the key number one, you're keeping the carbohydrate under 20 grams. Then you're, you're keeping your protein level high. Now, if you're a female, you need a baseline of 90 grams of protein per day. That helps your body understand um, that it's getting fed. Interesting enough, a couple of years ago, there's a couple studies that came out showing that um, it, when you hit about 90 grams of protein as a female, and I usually see about 120 to 150 grams of protein per, as a male per day, it actually has a further suppressive effect on insulin. The protein actually acts as a, as a hormone, essentially, and suppresses insulin further. And there's a pathway that that works through, and I won't go into that. Um, there's two studies that I'll put in the show notes about that. But what we learned that a couple of years ago, and the bodybuilders were telling us for years, you know, if I eat more protein, I, I, I lose weight. Um, and initially, what we were taught in medical school is that, you know, you need, you need a set amount of protein that's somewhere between 90, you know, 70 to 90 grams per day. But what we're learning is that as a female, if you're using protein to satiate you and balance out your, your fuel and tell your body that you're full, that needs to be about 90 grams. And then as a, as a, uh, as a male, it needs to be somewhere around 150 grams. Now, I tell people you know, about one gram of protein per pound of ideal body weight. Um, usually, I'll tell them just start with your body weight now and, and try to shoot for that protein as a goal. Most people will get close to that. And that usually works as a nice, easy ballpark number. So... Carbs under 20, protein level to roughly the, the, um, your ideal body weight, at least 90 grams as a woman and 150 grams as a man. Um, and then at the three-month mark, we start bringing the fat content back. Now, a lot of doctors have said, well, this is because of calories. Well, this is where calories actually do play a role. In my office, we've said for years that calories are little tiny creatures that live in your closet and sew your clothes a little tighter together every night. But, but this is where when you've balanced the insulin and you've got the protein in place, this is where the, your, the caloric intake that's in your bloodstream may very well play a role um, in uh, and you don't have to count the calories, but what we want to do is we want to bring the content of fat from uh, the content of calories from fat back. So the body's forced to pull from the fat cells. 
Um, and so what I usually have people do is I cut the, cut the fat back by 10 to 20%. Now in Kathy's case, she cut it by about 50%. Perfect. That's great. She felt great at that. Depending on your exercise level, your intensity level, your stress level, the amount of sleep you get, um, you may find that somewhere in that range is perfect. Now, if you look at, um, what Kathy had mentioned where she's currently now eating, um, 40 grams of fat. Anything above 30 grams of fat in your diet is essentially still a high fat diet. Um, uh, the ketogenic diet was originally designed as 70% fat, 30% protein. But if your protein is 70% and your fat's 30%, it's still considered a high fat diet by definition. It's just you're just lowering the fat content. You're still producing ketones. It's still ketogenic. It still may be carnivore, uh, but it's, that's the key. Now, what I often will have people do is, in order to get that and do, to get it easily without having to calculate a bunch of macros, is do every, use every other meal as a lean protein. So if, you're at your bre- if your breakfast is bacon and eggs, then your lunch should be chicken, fish, or turkey. Um, and there, there's a number of, of keto docs out there that have discovered this and understood this over the years um, and uh, have, been very, have been clear on this, Ted Naiman being one of them. He's been great in understanding this and, in, and helping the people to understand this process. Um, but uh, the, the, the benefit is that um, you, as you bring the fat content back, you will, see, you will see that lean up. So I often, to make things easy for people, is to tell them do one meal as a fatty meal, do one meal as a lean meal. Now, if you're drinking your fat calories, if you're loading your coffee with butter or heavy cream, you are, you are shooting yourself in the foot. Um, you need to put your gun back in your holster and, and back that that cream and butter back out of your coffee. Uh, any fat you're adding in the form of a liquid is going to satiate you. It's going to make you very full. And that's why you're not hungry enough to eat pro- more protein. Um, but it's going to stop the weight loss or cause weight regain. And so hopefully that makes it clear in regards to why am I regaining weight after this? And so I've spent a lot of time in this uh, process trying to explain this, but this is probably the biggest question I've, I've had in the last five to 10 years in why people are seeing a stall or a weight regain um, after month three uh, of doing a low carb or ketogenic diet. Now, as I implied, about about 5% of my patients will see weight regain because of abnormal thyroid function. And this is either because of genetic thyroid issues, thyroiditis, um, Hashimoto's, a number of other issues along those lines. Um, and so we want to watch the thyroid function or if they've been over fasting or over calorie restricting, uh, we see the thyroid start to suppress, become suppressed. And, and so we need to adjust that if that's, some, uh, if that's a problem. And then about 5 to 10% of the people I see will stall out um, or have weight regain in this process because of abnormal sex hormones. That's going to be te- a progesterone, pregnenolone, estrogens, or testosterones. And so there's a percentage of, of, of men and women, especially uh, postmenopausal women uh, who are estrogen dominant, that we need to balance their female hormones or the weight just won't move. They'll see hair loss, they'll see poor sleep, they'll see irritability, uh, mood swings, they'll see uh, weight gain around the middle that just does not want to move. And so we need to address those, and we'll address those in future podcasts on how to address that. Um, those have been topics that are, that are hot topics that I think people need to understand and need to understand how to approach uh, in that way. So uh, we, we've hit about the 30 minute mark, we're getting close here. Um, and so we just want to, we want to close up here. 
and it being uh, the week of Thanksgiving, I thought I would uh, just give a, give a little thought to think about um, something I've been thinking about for last week. Uh, why should you make uh, sure that you have a very happy Thanksgiving this year? Um, well, because everyone sucks. Uh, seriously, I need to, uh, need to remind you that the story of our humanity is one of uh, murder, war, rape, pillaging, disease, catastrophe, and general naughtiness. Uh, life is full of agony, and the last few patients I saw this week uh, actually reminded me of that fact. Um, when you look at the large amount of humanity in history, the majority of it's quite painful and terrible. Uh, if you look at the atrocities of the big bad Europeans who came to the New World centuries ago, the Mayans, the Aztecs, the Incas, the Toltecs, the Greeks, the Romans, the Persians, the Arabs, the Egyptians are all alike. At one point or another, um, each of us uh, got really anxious and eager about enslaving one another and sacrificing one another or otherwise mistreating one another in pretty nasty and gruesome ways. Uh, if you just pull out the history books, the older ones that haven't been whitewashed and woke, uh, you can read those for yourself. Um, against this backdrop of human, human history, there emerges by the grace of God a few periods of light in our history. And the story of Thanksgiving is one of those periods of light. So I thought I would bring this to light and make, let you think about this as a closing remark. Um, the Puritan pilgrims were separatists from the Church of England because of their refusal to participate in rituals they deemed unbiblical. Uh, kind of like the carnivores of today being told that eating meat is a sin by our friends the vegans. Um, you can see Genesis 9 and 17 on that. Uh, who knows, uh, we might be forced to eat beyond beef and impossible burgers in the future, but um, that's exactly the philosophy that caused the pilgrims to, to try to leave uh, Europe and go to the New World. Um, because of the pilgrims' refusal, they were harassed out of their native lands and uh, yearned to raise their children in a place of freedom from the seductions of the world, and so they set out for distant shores. In the 65-day voyage in the 75-foot belly of the Mayflower uh, and the hair-raising damage that it suffered is, is a story in itself, but when they arrived uh, to find the native uh, Wampanoagos wiped out by disease or pushed out of their homes uh, by the Narangasets, I hope I said that right, uh, the remaining people, the remaining person in that area was Squanto, only because he had also been enslaved, carried to Europe, and then forced to find his way back home after regaining his own freedom. Um, half of the pilgrims died during the first brutal winter in, there in Plymouth. Those that did survive did so after meeting with Squanto and the regional chief, uh, Massasoit, who uh, likely saved their lives. So 401 years ago, in 1621, the pilgrims and the, uh, and the Wampanoago made a pact that would last for decades of peace. Miraculously, these two battered, beleaguered uh, people, rendered desperate and needy by the cruel violence of this world, came together amidst the disease and the heartache and the loss and the fear that, and they broke bread and shared some meat. Like all miracles, it was a moment in which the warmth of fellowship glowed defiantly in spite of everything else. This moment provided a hint that we are more, we are more in this world. We are more than this world makes us out to be. That's the point I'm trying to make. Indeed, we are more than we know. Though disease and fear still threaten us today, uh, we've all been cajoled into misunderstanding what kind of the, uh, world that we, we live in today. This world and the life we live in is is never simple. It's never easy. It's never clean. It isn't a cakewalk uh, doing what we humans have uh, been doing or called upon to do by God that made us uh, gathering together then, building and growing and raising our families, sharing our stories and our hope and our dreams uh, is not a safe thing to do. Uh, it never has been, and no matter what CNN says, it never will be. Uh, but we do it anyway, not because of any assurance or safety or success or security, but because our gift and our duty is to rejoice together in the midst of this mess. Waiting until the mess is cleaned up is essentially utter nonsense, so gather together and uh, share your light and your love with your family. Uh, you and I will die before that, before 
uh, if this ever gets cleaned up. So, so there's no no need, there's no reason not to get together and to be human beings and to, to share love and light to each other. Um, inspired by William Bradford, who later became the Pilgrim's governor, in recording in his journal what he uh, in what he wrote as the group left Holland, uh, they were deathly afraid and bitterly sad, uh, but, quote, they knew they were pilgrims and looked not much on those things, but lifted up their eyes to heaven, their dearest country, and quieted their spirits. So amidst the anxiety and the stress and all the things of the world that have happened in the last two years, um, remember this, that we too are pilgrims, all of us upon this earth, here to find what joy in it we can. Uh, may your own Thanksgiving and every Thanksgiving hereafter be a moment and a place of joy. Don't wait. Have a great holiday weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Signing off, this is Dr. Adam Nally on Doc Talk. Thank you much. Bye-bye.